Welcome home. This is Audio XP for the 11th of January 2020, and the title of this episode is Wizards of the Coast and the Dungeon Battle. I usually try and arrange the topics covered in this highlight show into some sort of logical order. This week, though, I feel some time pressure. That's to say there are two time-sensitive stories that I want to cover. If you are listening on the day of release, or even a few days after, then you are in time to benefit from Chaosum's Australian firefighting effort. This is the company that seems to do the right thing as often as it can. This week they've made the RuneQuest Cloganthia Bestiary a pay-as-you-want title on DriveThruRPG rather than the usual $20. So if you wanted, you could pay zero bucks. The deal, though, is that you donate some money to the Australian firefighting efforts. It's an honour system. The other time-sensitive story that I wanted to put at the front of this podcast, not that it really matters because you could be listening to this at any time, is the opportunity to join the Fallout RPG beta test. Modifius already has one Fallout RPG of sorts in their growing collection, but that's more of an RPG expansion to their minigame. This beta test is for their 2D20 system for the full Fallout RPG. It's a good chance, but it's worth saying that even if you apply in time, you won't necessarily get into the programme. And even if you do, you will have to sign a non-disclosure agreement with Modifius, and so you won't be able to tell people about the game in advance. Now, this week, I've not been the only one trying to work out how to determine the order of news and things. Wizards of the Coast have been too. There's a book in Amazon right now called Dungeons and Dragons March Release Book, brackets, title announced January the 9th, close brackets. That's the book's actual title. I looked up the ISBN number in a database. That's the book's international serial number, and I got the same result. Well, mind you, perhaps ISBN websites just mirror Amazon these days. So why would Wizards do this? Well, the last few D&D books have, in effect, leaked. Gamers spotted them before Wizards of the Coast told anyone about them. And when that happens, that will likely annoy Wizards because they lose the chance to highlight and put the emphasis where they might want. They don't get to launch a story in the way they want it. Heck, they don't even become the source of the story anymore. And by story, I mean media coverage and fan chat online. So in many ways, putting a mystery book into Amazon is clever. Even if it's just a marketing stunt, it's clever. However, two other things happened this week. Gamers also noticed an official D&D dice and map set in Amazon called Lariel Silverhand's Explorer's Kit. That kit hadn't been officially announced by Wizards of the Coast either, and usually these kits accompany the official books, so it's easy to see why people assumed that the mystery March book would be about Lariel Silverhand's. The second thing that happened was that Wizards of the Coast delayed the January the 9th reveal and now you won't know what the book is until Monday the 13th. Well, those £300 sapphire dice, you know the ones they were doing for D&D's birthday? They've been delayed too. Now, there's lots of theories as to what's going on, but they're all just speculation, so let's wait and see. Speaking of speculation and the importance of knowing what's official and what's being guessed at, let's bring up this, you know, the bad news from Fantasy Flight Games. Rumours began to surface of significant restructuring at Fantasy Flight Games. 
Now, restructuring seems to be universally a euphemism for layoffs. As geek natives, one and only entirely amateur and hugely untrained editor, I took the decision not to blog about the rumours. The following day, a post on LinkedIn from the head of studio at Fantasy Flight Interactive confirmed that the division was closing. Fantasy Flight Interactive is the company's digital arm, and it was their job to make computer games of Fantasy Flight's tabletop games. In the following hours, confirmed Fantasy Flight employees also shared the news that all, or virtually all, of the Fantasy Flight RPG department were also being laid off. More significant news sites found their own sources and confirmed the news. And that's when Geeknator covered the story. I still wrestle with that. We still don't have an official comment from Fantasy Flight Games. Fantasy Flight Games published a Star Wars RPG, one of the top-selling role-playing games for many years. They have The Legend of the Five Rings and Genesis and others. Now, it doesn't mean that these tabletop RPGs are closing. Fantasy Flight still has the licenses, who, although any failure to renew the Star Wars will hit them hard enough to prompt a restructure like this, I, I imagine, it's possible, it's likely even, that they'll keep these titles going with freelancers. The games might go elsewhere within the giant company that owns them. That giant is Asmodee, which was bought by a private equity firm for $1.4 billion just a few years ago. If you want proof that Fantasy Flight are still working on their RPGs, then look to their successful card game Keyforge. Also this week, Fantasy Flight announced a Keyforge RPG that would be powered by Genesis. The harsh truth is that even successful RPG titles are rarely profitable enough to keep big businesses interested, so we'll just have to wait and see and listen for some official guidance from the company. Ah, okay, stories about people losing their jobs always upset me, and they're hard to follow with any geek interest piece. So I'm going to do a complete 180 and talk about extravagant gold. An Etsy boutique, a shop called Fallacy Dice, shared a 14 karat gold D20 that they had designed. It has an estimated material value of over $200, but the price for the die will be much higher if it ever goes on sale, because you need to pay for the time and the craftsmanship that turned the lump of gold into a dice. Fallacy Dice do sell fancy brass dice from their store, so you never know, maybe in the future you will be the proud owner of the shiny Cobalt Slayer. This week I also did something stupid with gold. I looked at the price of trade goods in D&D 5e, and I noticed that silk is very expensive. This led me to researching silk the best I could, and I discovered that in our real world, the quality of silk is measured in mummies. Those are M- O-M-M-E, the unit of measurement applied to the quality and the weight of the silk. Then, with some help from people who knew more about fabric measurement than I do on Reddit, I was able to calculate the gold value of a bolt of silk. And as it turns out, a yard of silk doesn't have to be a yard. Fabric people care about the length, not the width. In the SRD, a square yard of silk will set you back 10 gold pieces. And so the next thing I did was research the capacity of iconic merchant wagons. You know, precisely the sort of thing that your D&D party might be hard to protect. They can get pretty big. Your common prairie schooner is kept pretty light, but it can easily carry 2,000 pounds of cargo. 
a proper frontier crossing. Conestoga wagon, though, can carry an amazing 12,000 pounds of cargo, if you have enough horses to pull it. So, what would 12,000 pounds of silk cost in D&D? Well, according to the calculations that the helpers and I on Reddit came up with, a Conestoga wagon of silk would cost 1.5 million gold pieces. So you might think 20 gold pieces to guard a wagon silk is easy money, but wow, the merchant is making a profit. Of course, this is all just hypothetical. Could you fit 12,000 pounds of rolled up silk into a Conestoga wagon in the first place? Probably, but I'm yet to confirm it. Are there even 12,000 pounds of silk in your gaming world? Would such a trade flood the market and reduce the value of silk? These are all questions that are up to your DM. Hopefully, though, this research will help some DMs realise just how valuable merchant wagons can be. Links to that piece of research and everything else mentioned in this podcast can be found in the show notes or just by searching for Audio XP 26. Another article that did well on the blog this week was also about helping game masters and DMs with merchants and game trade. In this case, specifically with potions. Geek Native now has a random potion generator. Hit a button and you'll get a fancy name for a potion. Here are some quickly generated examples. Decanter of Crescent Elk Teeth. Balm of Yeti Wash. Satire's Constitution Cream. The generator also randomly suggests some actual D&D 5e potions for you, if that's more helpful. Now, the system comes from a game in which the big secret was that the so-called monster races were suffering horribly to keep the peace for the world. The names of some of these alchemical potions were an early and obscure clue to that. These corrupt potions also have adverse cosmetic side effects, and so that the random potion generator also suggests one of those for each potion. never know with these things, but I hope a few GMs find it useful. I'm more confident that GMs will find Ben's latest genre police useful. The most recent article, titled Out of the Box Thinking, is all about board game mechanics that might freshen up tabletop role-playing games. For example, inspired by games like Mysterium and Dixit, why not have a scene when characters can only manage to say a couple of words each to each other, and despite that limitation, have to communicate successfully to break the curse, the spell, or defeat the computer virus, whatever put them into that situation in the first place. And finally, potentially the biggest news of the week was only written up on Friday. Wizards of the Coast have one extra trademark protection around the world dungeon. No, Wizards of the Coast did not try and trademark the word dungeon, but someone else did. A company called Calypso Media, who for years have been making a computer game series called Dungeon. Calypso Media filed for a trademark from the European Union's Intellectual Property Office. Wizards of the Coast objected. I've read through a legal blog summary to try and work out what happened next. In effect, the authorities agreed with Wizards of the Coast, but unexpectedly strengthened their hand. The trademark authorities first decided that games are now mainstream. That's important, because it means companies can no longer argue that only savvy gamers who know what they are doing are likely to be buying games. The ruling uses the word average a lot. You know, in the um, polite way, they've decided that average people with average concentration might now be trying to buy a game for themselves. Now, the fact that lots of other computer games have the word 
dragon or dungeon in their name doesn't matter because they didn't try and claim a trademark. The law blog that I read was really worried about this and described it as a hammer blow to smaller players, meaning small indie publishers. It's possible that if Wizards of the Coast decide to press this, that game makers will have to stay completely clear of anything remotely similar to D&D if they want to get legal protections in place on their intellectual property and franchise. Will Wizards of the Coast do this? Wow, we're back to speculation again. I'm sure we'll find out in time, but in the meanwhile, we can expect a second attempt at a new book announcement on Monday. And that's a wrap for this week. Take care.